the slow lights going back on. If you have kids, one of the things you realize very quickly is they watch carefully what you're doing. Uh, oftentimes when you're doing something, you don't want them to repeat, right? And uh, the, the, the thing is, with children around us, or our disciples around us, or any other people around us, we need to be cognizant. We need to be aware of what kind of example are we setting. Are, are we demonstrating life in Christ or something different? You see, our kids need to know that we are followers of Jesus. We need to demonstrate life in Christ for them to be able to catch it. You know, oftentimes we, we, we talk about something being caught, not taught. This, this holds true to our walk with Jesus, often with, with our kids and the children around us and the people we are discipling and have influence with. Uh, you, you might be sick of hearing some of my stories. You probably are, but I'm going to keep sharing them because that's all I got. Uh, but for several years, I, I was able to coach hockey in Alaska. Uh, I was able to coach all the way from learn to skate all the way up through high school. Each one has their different, obviously their differences. There's fun things about each age group, and then there are some challenges about each age group too. Uh, the little, little kids on the little, uh, the little pusher things on the ice, have you ever seen those? This is so not a hockey community that my hockey stories aren't that good. If you guys were in Canada, you'd be eating this up, all right? But they have these little pushers, and you have to really watch where you're at because they will run you over, right? They don't know what they're doing. If you have your back to them, they're going to take you out, and you're going to get hurt as a coach. And, uh, you have to high school. These kids now are, are young men, and they can shoot the puck a lot harder, and you have to watch out for that as well. But, but the, the things that remain the same as you coach are, are how you coach. The skills are different and more refined as they get older. But, but whenever you're trying to teach a new skill, you want to describe it, you want to demonstrate it, then you evaluate how they did with it and repeat. This is young all the way through uh, older kids. Again, describe, demonstrate, evaluate, evaluate repeat. Well, for me, that, that was easy from learn to skate up until about 12 years old. Then I can describe it for the older kids, but if you ask me to demonstrate it and they're going to do it the way I do it, they're going to be a lousy hockey player. You know, they, they, about 12 to 14 years old, they get better than I am, thankfully. So what I would do when I was coaching th that age group or older, I would have Elijah or somebody like Elijah come in, my older son, to demonstrate the skill so that they could see it happen correctly. You know, this, this holds true in our Christian walk. We need to find people who are a little bit more mature than we are. We need to find people who have victories in areas that we're struggling in and see what they're doing differently and then mimic them. If we do that, we can start growing more in our faith. Do you know that no matter if you are 2 or 92, if you have air in your lungs, you ought to be maturing and growing and becoming more like Jesus. Do you also know that there is at least somebody paying attention to your example? You guys, we're doing this series, Raising G-Rated Kids in an X-Rated World. I keep, I keep getting scared that I'm going to say it backwards. That would be... <laughs> I hope somebody else does up here so I can laugh at them. But I keep, I keep raising G-Rated Kids in an X-Rated World. You know, I, I, I come to this series with great fear and trepidation. I, I did this series, like I said, 10 years ago. It was completely different then. But I come to it now, as I did then, with great fear and trepidation. And the reason for that is this. I fail as a dad. You know, getting up here and preaching about this is what you need to do to protect your kids, to keep them innocent, to keep them walking like Christ and with Christ. Listen, I fail as a dad. If my kids do everything the way I've done things in front of them, I'm going to keep moving on. So, I fail as a dad. I don't always provide a good example. I, I wish I could tell you guys, as your pastor, that in my home, I kind of just hover from room to room. That there's a halo around my head. That everything that comes out of my mouth is scripture and God-breathed. But it's not the case. You see, I've got this flesh just like you do. And I fail as a dad. I don't always provide the right kind of example in every situation. In fact, I find myself in situations as a parent where I don't know what to do. Where I'm at a loss. Just like many of you, I found myself in situations 
And I wish I could tell you that my default, I immediately went to God in prayer and said, God, I don't know what to do. This is you. These are your kids. I don't know why you gave them to me to begin with. Kidding, children. (laughs) I've offended three of my four. The fourth isn't here today, so I can talk about her, right? I, I wish I could say that was my default, but it isn't always. Sometimes there's a lot of time in between, and I make mistakes as a dad. So getting up here and preaching about how to parent, guys, this is a humbling thing for me because I, I want you to know with whatever struggle you have as a parent or as a grandparent or, or as, a, as a disciple maker, I share those struggles with you. I share those struggles with you. I don't have this all down. But here's what I have. I have the Word of God, and I have Christians who are more mature than I am. And I need to learn and to relearn and then to relearn and then to relearn to utilize those things. Now, I'd like to say I'm a little bit better at it now than I was before. I'm sure my youngest child will say, you look at our oldest, you're doing much better, right? Just Those jokes were a lot better when you lived 4,000 miles away. <laughs> kind of awkward now. First service went over great too. Anyways. I wish I could say I do better, guys, but I don't. I don't. I try to do better every year, just like the rest of you, but it's a struggle for me, just like it is for many of you. But here's the thing. We do have hope, and we can improve, and we must improve, not just as parents, but as disciple makers. You see, the two go hand in hand. You know, parenting, basically, that's just built-in disciple making. Are we looking at it that way? Because we should be. We need to be. We need to be. We have to be. This, this text in Deuteronomy, I absolutely love going to you when we're talking about raising kids. It's in chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Deuteronomy 6. And today we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. As you get your Bibles turned there. We also have the text on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can look up there as well. Would you join me in prayer before we go to God's Word? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the songs that we were able to sing together. Just the reminders that even when things are difficult, even when we've had a bad week, when we've had a bad day, that you are good. Thank you for the reminders in these songs that even when we fail, you are merciful and gracious towards us. Thank you for the reminder that you hold our salvation. That it is in you and through you that we can have salvation. Thank you, God, for giving us hope for a better tomorrow because we need it. God, as we go to your word today, I pray that your spirit will speak in and through me, that you will cause us to all take a step closer to you, to look more like you. Help us to remember that people are watching and that we need to provide a good example. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1, going through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, I love this text when we talk about kids because it provides a reminder for us. And we talked a little bit about this, I think, last week. But are, are we rehearsing the goodness of God in our lives that our kids might know our story? What about our kids' kids? You know, if you come into my office, um, I'm sitting on my desk, or if you're, if you're sitting facing my desk, on the right wall, you'll see a picture of three old guys. 
It's not Bill and Jim, who aren't here today, so I can talk about them too. They're my great-great and great-great-great-grandfathers. And in my family, they're the, the kind of the founders of the faith. They're the, they're the first converts to Christianity. I look over at those pictures frequently for a couple of different reasons. One, I wonder, if they, if they, are they part of my cloud of witnesses? And if they are, if somebody somehow they know what's going on down here right now, are they proud of their offspring? Another thing that I think about is this. I wish I knew more about them. I wish I knew their story and their testimony. I, I, I wish I knew what was going on in their world and in their lives when they gave their lives to Christ. I wish I knew about the struggle that they had with their families. I, I wish I knew those times that they prayed for something earnestly and then had God move in a miraculous way in their lives because I'm sure it happened, but I wish I knew the stories. Then I think, as I look at them and I contemplate those things, are my kids and my kids' kids and their kids, are they going to know about the goodness of God in my life? You know, this text in Deuteronomy, reminding that your sons and that your sons' sons, are we memorializing the goodness of God? Because we can be an example to our kids long after we go home to heaven, if we are. Friends, your kids need to know that God is good in your life. They need to know that in your failures, God is good, and God is merciful, and God is gracious. We want our kids to look more like Jesus. We also need to be an example to them of what Jesus looks like. And we need to take that super seriously. Last week, the message was guard your home. I reminded you that there is an enemy who is out there. And our kids have a bullseye on their chest. And we need to be careful that we're guarding our home. Today I want to remind you that we are always being watched by our kids, the neighbor kids, the kids at church, and people who are, we are discipling. Listen to Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We are being watched by our kids and by the world. How are we behaving with that opportunity? Well, friends, to point our kids and our disciples to Jesus, we first must model or consistently model good works. We, need to, we must consistently model good works. The text again says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. I have said multiple times that raising kids is kind of like an experiment. You know, we think we do things in a certain way and we'll have a certain outcome. But it isn't always that way, is it? It's a learning process as we go. Kids are in the room might be surprised to hear that. You're an experiment. Good luck to you. Good luck to us, right? But it's true. We're not, we're not always sure of the outcome. But here's what we can be sure of. We can be sure of what we are modeling for them. We can be sure of the kind of example that we're giving them. If we're consistently modeling good works to our kids, we're giving them hope that they can too do good works and good things. You are always modeling something. It can be good and it can be bad. You know this if you ever get struck, stuck in traffic and you hear something foul coming from the back seat. You might realize you have something you need to work on. Your kids are watching. Your kids are listening. The neighbor kids are watching you and listening. Church kids, it's the same thing. We're always modeling something. And here's something that I've learned as a dad that I don't always like. Kids are excellent mirrors. Whoa. Kids are excellent mirrors, Right? You see kid, you see kids, maybe you know something, maybe you don't have a child, but you know people with kids, and you're like, man, that kid is just like his dad, bless his heart. Right? They can show us our weakness, and they can show us our strengths, too. Again, it's good and it's bad, but kids are excellent mirrors. If you want your kids to look like Jesus, again, you need to look like Jesus. If you want your kids to look like Jesus, you need to look like Jesus. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children 
And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is this saying? To be imitators of God. Well, if we think about what example Jesus had left for us in this text hints at it, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that means that we must sacrifice for our family. And oftentimes we think sacrificing for our family means 12-hour days and seven days a week. But friends, that's not what sacrifice that we're talking about. This is loving somebody and counting them more important than yourselves. Jesus modeled a sacrificial type of love, and we need to model that to our children. If we want our kids to look like Jesus, we must become more like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus loves. We need to sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed. But we get to do it in his power and not on our own. And that's encouraging to me because I know on my own power I can't. And I'm learning more and more that in my failures, I need his strength because then my own strength doesn't add up. So if I want my kids to look more like Jesus and I need to look more like Jesus, I need to rely on Jesus' power for me to make that happen. Do you understand? Young people in this room, it's also important for you to be a good example for those who are around you. If you know Jesus and you have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you, you don't have a junior Holy Spirit. You have just as much Holy Spirit as anybody else. You have just as much opportunity to example godliness and Christlikeness to those around you as anyone else, maybe in some cases more. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Young people, you get to set an example back to the people around you in your church and in your schools and in your communities and your neighborhood. If you want your friends and, your, and your, uh, the kids in your school to look more like Jesus, that means you too need to look more like Jesus. Friends, to point our kids and our disciples to Jesus, we need to consistently model good works. But we don't just leaving it, leave it at modeling good words. We need to take the time to teach. Explain what's going on. Explain the reason for the good works. Uh, the text continues, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. You know, sometimes when we're modeling good works, it looks kind of strange to other people. So we need to stop and we need to make an explanation for what's going on, why we are doing this. You know, uh, back to coaching hockey, there's something I did a few times right around that same 13, 14-year-old age group. When you're shooting a, a puck towards the net, or shooting a puck in general, you, you have a stick in your hand like this, the puck's down on the ice over here, right? All the way over there. One of the things I would do is I would lay down, I would put up some pylon cones before, in front of the net, and I would lay down on my stomach behind the, the puck looking towards the goal. Why? Because I wanted to see what the puck saw because it's coming from a different perspective a different trajectory now if i just do that and you see me on the ice laying down behind the puck and you're you're a player you're going to say the coach is completely insane right what is he doing you have to stop and explain what's going on and then it makes sense so that the kids or anybody around you can see why you're doing what you're doing Oftentimes, I think we do good things, but we, forgot to, we forget to stop and tell people why. Model good works for your kids, but stop and teach them what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's just as important as doing them. The text says that we teach them with integrity. The, the Greek word there is aphthoria. It's, it's soundness, not corrupted. The key here is teaching the truth, not some weird version of it, but teaching the truth found in Scripture. It says, teach them with dignity. Semnotes, the Greek word, is respectfulness. Don't be haughty and puffed up and arrogant. Teach with humility. Realize, listen, we don't have it all together. We can't expect them to. Be respectful to the people that we're teaching. It says, teach them with sound speech. The Greek word is not going to try it. That joke didn't work in the first service. I should let it go. I can't say this Greek word, so you can laugh at me later. It's healthy speech. The words we say matter. The words that we use matter. We need to be thinking through them. 
If we, need, if we want to point our kids to Jesus and our disciples to Jesus, we must con- consistently model good works. We must stop and take the time to teach them. And as we're doing that, and this is an important, this is our last point, don't give the enemy ammo. Don't give the enemy ammunition. The text continues, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We spent some time on it last week about how we do have an enemy and they're seeking to take out your kids. But I am afraid that we in today's church, we give the enemy ammunition. You know, when, when my kids, particularly my boys were young, we bought them Nerf guns. Anybody here have a Nerf gun? You know what they are? They're, they're these things right here, right? So I'd get my kids Nerf guns. And inevitably, the kid would say, well, dad is the biggest and slowest target in the house. I'm going to shoot him. And they would shoot me. Can I have the bullet back? Right? And, you know, I'm, I'm not a smart dad, so I'd give him the bullet back. They would shoot me. Get, dad, can I, uh, can I get that bullet back? And it would go on and on and on. I kept giving them back their ammunition. Now, this, their particular Nerf gun's a little bit of fun, so I want to demonstrate. This has literally nothing to do with the sermon. I just really wanted to shoot this thing today. So you put the, you know, put the bullet in here. You kind of cock it back. And um, I almost did the same thing. I looked right in the barrel. By the way, not good gun safety. I don't care if it's a Nerf gun. Well, most Nerf guns, you shoot them, and it's super anticlimactic, right? It goes back to, like, the third row and just kind of pew, and that's it. Well, that's not fun. So um, I made some uh, um, modifications with, with my Nerf gun. And, and this is the, the part of the story where you, sometimes you learn hard lessons. I'm going to try to fit this in somehow into my sermon, right? Uh, I, I, we, we, uh, I worked for a professional hockey team in Alaska, and I was uh, uh, the, the chaplain of the team. And, and oftentimes we had young guys come over to our house. And one of these young guys, Matt Ambrose, became like a brother to my kids, right? He was like an older brother. He used to spend a ton of time at our house. I've, been, I've had the opportunity to go visit him in his house in Minnesota and everything like that. But one day, he decided, I'm going to play Nerf Wars with the Krause boys. So he grabs one of the Nerf guns, and he's running through the house, and he's shooting them. And Elijah, at the time, he's 17 now, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old, somewhere in there, he grabbed my gun. I didn't know which gun he had, but he grabbed mine. He's standing at the top of the stairs, and Matt's at the bottom, and Elijah lines him up, shoots him right in the eyeball. To the point where, that you know, the colored part of your eyeball, I'm not a doctor, it's got a name, I don't know what it is. It started bleeding. I had to take the guy to the emergency room. It's still funny to me. It shouldn't be. (laughs) He's sitting in the emergency room, eyeball bleeding, and I'm taking pictures of him. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you're the first pro hockey player my kid sent to the ER. I got to document it, right? He had to stay at our house for like a week after that, sleeping, sitting up. Anyways, that part's not funny. It's a little funny. But seriously, watch out up there. This, This is the fun thing. You see that thing? Did I hit anybody? I'll try again. Give me my bullet back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We got... <laughs> Where did that come from? Was that up there? That's you? Nice job, Mick. You got your own gun? <laughs> this? I probably shouldn't hijack the rest of this church hour for a gun. I so bad want to shoot you back right now. I'm going to not do it. I'm impressed, man. I told you, I'm slow and I'm a big target. It's easy. Here's your bullet back, Nick. All right. Moving on. Quit giving your enemy ammunition, like I just did. Because he's going to use it. He's going to use it. And friends, the enemy is joined with the world in watching how we behave. You know, people are watching. We're providing an example. Is it the example that we want to provide? We need to be cognizant. We need to be aware that we are providing an example. In too many cases right now, I feel like not only are we giving the the enemy ammunition, but we're paying for it. We're inviting it into our homes. And that's, that's deadly, guys. And in too many cases, we're going to see kids that are straying from the truth, and we're going to wonder why. We need to be aware of the example that we're leaving to the kids and to the world. We don't want to discredit Christianity by our behavior. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 3-9. If you get nothing else today, 
highlight this text in your Bible, memorize it in your heart, and seek to put it to practice. 2 Peter 2, 1, 3-9. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours uh, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Friends, we need to put these things in practice. If you're worried about kids, if you're worried about the example that you're leading, take this down in 2 Peter chapter 1 and do these things. Do these things. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. You're not going to do them perfectly. You're going to fail, and you're going to fail regularly. How's that for encouragement? But you know your failures can be one of the best examples and teaching moments you will ever have? Man, we so quickly want to sweep things under the rug so our kids don't see us in the kink in our armor. We, we, we don't want our kids to know that we're going to fail. We don't want our kids to know that we're going to make mistakes. We don't want to be that bad example. So because we don't want to be that bad example, we go so far out of our way to hide that our mistakes, that our kids, they think what we are pers- we're trying to show is unattainable and it's impossible for them. One of the best things you can do, parent or discipler, one of the best things you can do with somebody that you're trying to teach is apologize to them when you're wrong. Confess when you've made a mistake. It's one of the most powerful tools in our, in, our, in our tool belt. We absolutely have to be transparent with our kids. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids to know everything that I've done and all my mistakes. But here's the thing. I, wanted, I want them to know that there's been some, a lot of them, that I'm not perfect, but I serve a God who is. You see, I want them to know that there's hope for them when they make mistakes, because they're going to. I want them to know that there is mercy when they have made the wrong decision. I want them to know that there is grace that comes from God when they come and they confess their sins, and that He is faithful and just to forgive them those sins. They can't know that in my life if I refuse to admit that I'm also sinful and have made mistakes and I fail all the time. They won't see that in their Father. And they'll think it's too much. It's too heavy a burden to carry. Guys, one of the best things we can do is admit our mistakes. This, this extrapolates out to the church. One of the best things we can do in a church body is to confess our sins to one another. One of the most freeing things that could ever happen is confessing your sins. Yet if we open up to microphone and say, hey, it's, it's sin confession time, there's not going to be a big line probably. And I can tell you with certainty, if you confess your sins to one another, it goes from darkness where it has a grip on you to light where you have freedom. And you have freedom like you've never had before. I can say that with certainty. But for some reason, we so desperately want to hide between, behind our ties and our sport coats and, and our smiles on Sunday that we miss the very essence of Christianity and the very love and forgiveness and grace and mercy from God. Church, let's not miss that anymore. Let's not miss the opportunities to confess when we've messed up. Ask forgiveness. It's good for us and it's good for everyone else. I've had the privilege over the course of some years to see people get courageous and come and share their sin publicly and how God has redeemed them. And you get to watch this weight just lift off of their shoulders. A lot of you know that feeling. A lot of you know that weight. 
And you come and you're like, well, as long as I don't tell anybody, they won't think of me differently or negatively. You know, that's a lie of the devil. Have you ever heard anybody confess their sins and you think poorly of them? That's them right now. Literally the same time in the first service. That's the craziest thing. But no, man, when we hear somebody confess their sins, it's like, wow, that person is brave. It's a great example to have. None of us are perfect, friends. If you're new here and you're like, I want to check out Brian because I heard there's not very many sinners there. Listen, that's not the case. That's not the case. We're just a group of people who are trying to become more like Jesus, who fail at it all the time. But we want to give each other grace and mercy, demonstrate the love of God and Christ's likeness to one another. That's what I want to be a part of. A church of real people really trying to become more like Christ. Let's not miss those opportunities to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. In fact, we're going to have the band come up in just a moment. Right after we watch a video, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a video of just one of those moments. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for laughter. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for the example that you have given us. God, we don't get it right all the time. In fact, we, I feel like I get it wrong more often than not. God, I thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace. Help me to have patience, mercy, and grace with my kids and with my brothers and sisters here in this church. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Brittany Deneep, and this is testimony. I grew up in church. I started attending Brian when I was three years old. I really found a niche for singing um, young. I think I was like sixth grade. And then I started doing youth group and um, doing the praise team in youth group. And I really loved missions trips. I loved being with kids. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a teacher. Went to college, went to a Christian college. And it was great, but you know, you had to go to chapel three times a week and things like that. Um, and so I was kind of always forced to do things um, in the sense of you have to be there. It's attendance and um, that kind of thing. And I never felt like my parents forced me to go to church, I did enjoy going and I did love singing and, and so I really, I loved it, but I didn't feel like my faith was mine necessarily. Um, so after college, I ended up moving out of my parents' house after a year and kind of figuring out like my relationship with God. Um, and I saw all my friends getting married and like all these things and I, I felt like, okay, your, your clock's ticking. Um, so I, I got married, you know what I mean? And, and tried to take that route, um, but still really like didn't have that personal relationship with God. Like I think I thought I did, but like looking back now, I would read my Bible and I would journal, you know, every once in a while, a couple times a week, but like it never was like, God, what is going on? I never really spoke to him that way. And so um, I made a choice to let sin into my life um, and it was a very visual thing so everyone could see it so I um, I told my family and my friends and they were very gracious but basically I went into hiding um, I didn't want to come to Brian anymore I didn't want anyone to see me um, and I was very ashamed, extreme, extreme shame. I started attending another church where no one knew me. I didn't have to tell anybody my story and I could just worship God and do my own thing. Um, and I entered into a very um, toxic relationship, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um, I was doing something that I felt was right to do, um, but it, um, I felt like it was right to do for the sake of my family, but I knew it wasn't what God wanted from me. Um, so in April, um, I, I got out of that relationship, um, and I had slowly started coming back to Berean because I missed my family. 
I started coming back and um, Leone and a few of the other ladies have been so supportive. Um, and so I started going to some Bible studies um, and really just kind of finding my own faith again. Um, realizing that I am forgiven. Um, I don't I don't wish this on anyone. I don't want anyone to get caught up in sin like this and go for years of feeling this like shame and embarrassment. Um, and so, you know, I wanted people to know that that I'm here. Um, I'm owning up to it, essentially, um, and I'm asking for forgiveness from everyone else. Um, so if you could be praying for me still, so that I can continue on this path of redemption I do I am redeemed my story mm -hmm. is for anyone to hear so 